I may have mentioned this before, um, but I am a bit of a rugby fan. Um, in fact, Susan said to me this morning on the way up, she was like, so I trust that we're either going to get a West Wing or a rugby reference somewhere in your talk this evening. And I don't like to disappoint. So here we are, right at the top. Um, so I'm a rugby fan, but most particularly and especially a fan of Ireland and the British and Irish Lions. But what does that actually mean? Because, you know, a lot of people say they're fans of things. But how can you tell if somebody really means it? Well, I would say it's about how it shows up in their life. So the fact that I'm a rugby fan shows up, for example, in how I prioritize my time and my diary. The Six Nations dates are booked in, have been for some time, 19 days to go, if you're wondering. <laughs> and if you ask me to do something at a time when Ireland are playing, then there is a 98% chance that I will say I am unavailable. Adrian and I were on holiday in Crete in September during the pool stages of the Rugby World Cup. And we absolutely had to be in front of the TV in the one bar that we found that was showing the matches for every game. Now, please do not feel bad for Adrian here because Celtic and Scotland also had football matches during the holiday and we were there for those games as well. We're, we're very well matched in that regard. Um, being a rugby fan can also mark my communication. If you were to look at my WhatsApp chats with my friend Mikey, they are almost exclusively rugby memes. And at various points in my life, it also impacts how I spend my money, what I choose to wear, even where I've gone on holiday. New Zealand for the 2005 Lions Tour. Being a rugby fan marks my life in a whole variety of ways. Tonight we are starting a new series for this term where we look at some of the marks of Jesus' disciples. If you are a disciple of Jesus, how should that show up in your life? What are the characteristics that should set you apart from everybody else. And it's gonna sit alongside the morning theme of becoming a church which lives out both the great commandment to love God and our neighbor as ourselves and the great commission to make disciples. And so as we think about the marks of a disciple, we unsurprisingly start with love. Now love is obviously a command that has been present since the Old Testament. It was the Mosaic law that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. But in Jesus, we see that command taken to a whole different kind of level. He lived out the kind of love that is being spoken about. So we're going to start by spending just a few minutes thinking about how Jesus demonstrated love. So firstly, the fact that Jesus came to earth at all was a sacrificial act of love. He left his heavenly home and made himself nothing, as we read in Philippians 2, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And he did this in order to live among us and show us example after example of what love is. He didn't just come to speak about love, but to practice it. 
His life was constantly marked by love. If we think about the interactions that Jesus had with people, he was constantly redefining love to include those on the outside, those on the edge of their society because of their choices, their reputation, their illness, to include the shunned, the ostracized, the shamed, and the lonely. Where others walked away from or detoured around, Jesus walked lovingly towards those in need. And he was unafraid to sully his name by being seen with them, willingly accepted the inconvenience of whatever time it was going to take to be with them, laying his hands on those considered untouchable, restoring health and restoring dignity. No one lay beyond the bounds of his love, not even his enemies. And of course, his ultimate act of love came on the cross as he laid down his life for us so that we might live in relationship with God for all eternity. If people thought that they knew what love was up until that point in history, they now had a new definition. And it was outrageous. Far-reaching, no-holds-barred, lay-it-all-on-the-line love. Love that goes beyond reasonable, beyond generous. Love that simply goes beyond But Jesus didn't just demonstrate what real love looked like without expecting us, his disciples, to follow suit. In one of his most famous parables in Luke 10, Jesus is answering a question from a young man who seems to be trying to place parameters on how much this kind of love would have to mark his life. The man knows the commandments about loving God with all he has, and about loving his neighbor as himself. But then he asks Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Perhaps he grasps the enormity of the kind of love that they're talking about and thinks, well, surely there must be a dividing line here somewhere, a place where this command stops, a point where I can stop loving. Maybe if my neighbor is this person and this person, but not those people over there, well, that might be okay. But of course, in response, Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And in doing so, erases any dividing lines that we might want to use to make this love a little bit more manageable and a little bit less costly. The Good Samaritan risked his safety, amended his plans, paid the price, all for someone who was an enemy. And Jesus finishes his story with the words, go 
and do likewise. This is the love that should mark us out. It's how people should be able to identify us. In John 13, Jesus tells his disciples, a new command I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. As we said, loving one another was not a brand new command, but loving each other as Jesus loved, that was a whole new ballgame. And one that he expects all of us to practice. 1 John 3 says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Does anyone remember the Christian band in the 90s DC talk? I mean, if that doesn't scream 1990s to you, I don't know what will. They had a song entitled, Love is a Verb, which also, if you go check out the video, peak 90s. <laughs> love is a verb. Real love, disciple-marking love is active, not passive. This love denies itself, takes up its cross, and follows after the one who laid everything down. So what does a life like that look like? If we are marked by love, how shall we live? When you think of somebody who lives a life that is marked by love, I wonder who comes to mind. For me, I think of my friend Jenny, who lives here in Edinburgh, who works with those who are homeless and living in poverty, and who started the soul food ministry across the city. She has modeled a life where hospitality that is marked by the love of Jesus means opening your home to more than just those people who you already know and like, and who lives by the motto that when you have more than you need, you build a longer table and not a higher fence. I think of a lady called Lorna Stanley, who you can see uh, in the picture with Adrian. Uh, we met her in Jamaica. Auntie Lorna, as she's known, emigrated to America as a young woman, where she had a very successful career before deciding to return to Jamaica, where she set up a school for disadvantaged young people in Trenchtown, as well as projects for women in the inner cities. And during this prayer march around the community of Trenchtown, Adrian escorted Auntie Lorna around, and he said it was a little bit like escorting the Queen, because he saw just firsthand how many people came rushing out of their homes to wave to her, to say hello, to thank her, and she knew every single one of them by name, despite having not worked 
directly in the community for a little while. So many people wanted to come and speak to her to say hello. Families in a troubled and poor community who had been impacted by a life that was marked with love. And I think of Pastor Timothy, who I met a number of years ago when I led a tier fund team to Cambodia. This is Pastor Timothy sampling his first taste of shortbread, uh, by the way, and enjoying it very much. Pastor Timothy serves with a ministry called the Cambodia Hope Organization. He is a small man with a very big personality and an even bigger smile. He worked with the tiny house churches dotted around the countryside, teaching them, encouraging them, discipling new believers, and singing songs about Jesus with the children. I have never met a man more full of the joy of the Lord. Now, for those of you who might not know, Cambodia's history has been a troubled one. During the mid to late 1970s, the Khmer Rouge under the dictator Pol Pot brutalized the country, working millions to death in the killing fields and murdering thousands more. The young and fragile Cambodian church was decimated and remains small to this day. Just before we went out on this trip, two of the Khmer Rouge leadership had finally been found guilty of crimes against humanity in UN-backed court proceedings and had been sentenced to life imprisonment. And as we traveled out, we wondered, what kind of impact would this have on the people that we would meet? Would it bring a long-awaited sense of justice or some kind of closure? And would there be a moment when it would be appropriate for us to ask? Well, one evening, as I sat with Pastor Timothy over dinner, the topic came up. This was a man who had lived through his country's darkest hour and had family members killed by the murderous regime. How did he feel about two of its top guard being held to account for their actions? What he said next just floored me. He said that the Bible says that no one deserves heaven, but that even the thief on the cross had the opportunity to respond to Jesus and be forgiven. His only concern for these men was that they should hear the good news about Christ and have the opportunity to respond. I was speechless. And even now, years later, I am moved and challenged in a profound way. A life of love also means loving our enemies. And loving our enemies isn't simply not hating them, not striking back. It's actively praying for them. It's longing for their salvation. It's forgiving them. A life marked by love will impact our whole lives. How we view those who have hurt us. How we spend our time. How we use our gifts and our talents. Our money and our resources. Who we spend time with and how we treat them. 
You will maybe have examples in your mind of people who you know at church or in other spheres of your life who demonstrate what it is to live a life that is marked by love. Dave shared numerous examples this morning in his sermon, really worth listening to. We can add to that Gavin and Heather Faulkner working in Ecuador, others in our church who have opened up their homes to, to refugees, those who serve on the caravan and the care shelter with the homeless in our city. I know that Adrian and I have experienced love from people in our house group who, despite facing difficulties of their own, have still taken time to show practical love and care to us. I find it quite a challenging thing to sit with. The question, is my life marked by love? When Dave told the story this morning about the person in our congregation stopping to help the man when he was waiting for his bus, I asked myself, would I have done that if I'd been there? I don't know. Because this kind of love does not come easily. Certainly not consistently. Because so often our selfish, fallen nature just gets in the way. Now, you may not know this about me, but I hate to be late. Be it for the cinema or for a flight, I will always want to err on the side of caution and arrive in plenty of time. It helps me to feel calm and in control of my life. Adrian, on the other hand, has a more relaxed approach to timekeeping. And so it came to pass on a cold, dark Christmas Eve some years ago. Adrian and I were, I was driving us from Livingston, where we lived at the time, to the watch night service in this building. And we were approaching Balerno from the Ravelrig Road, and we had just crossed over the railway line when Adrian turned to me and he said, did you see that guy? I said, no, I had no idea what he was talking about. He said, there was a young guy back there, standing alone on the bridge. It's a bit odd, do you not think, to be alone at this time on Christmas Eve, standing over a railway line? I agree that it was. But by this stage, we were driving into the village and ready to be parked up and at church just in time for the start of the service. And then Adrian spoke the words that I knew were coming. <laughs> I think we should go back. Once Adrian has seen something that isn't right, he usually can't let it lie. And his heart for the vulnerable is one of the things that I love the most about him but there are many moments when it challenges every selfish bone in my body. And so for a second, or maybe two or three, I did battle with my inner timekeeper, who was getting her knickers in a right old twist about being late for church. And then, thankfully, came the whisper of the Spirit, and I turned the car around. And we drove back to the bridge, and Adrian went to speak to the guy, and I stayed in the car and prayed. And five minutes later, Adrian came back. He said the boy had been having a rough time at home, just needed a bit of space. 
he assured Adrian that he wasn't about to do anything drastic and politely declined the offer to join us at church. And later that night before going to sleep, we prayed for him. We didn't even know his name, but we prayed that he would know peace and entrusted him to God. And we never saw him again. And in some ways, that's a non-story. Not very much happened, and we don't really know the outcome. Did Adrian make a difference that night? Who knows? But I know that he stopped for the one, and he showed that person love in that moment. And I know that it made a difference to me, because too often I can be caught up in my own world, too full of my own concerns to see what's important or what the loving action is, even when it's right in front of me. And perhaps I'm not alone in this. Sometimes our already busy lives can become choked with lists and appointments and activities and goals and our view of the world can just become a bit cluttered with things that are maybe not always the priority of Jesus. Every time I ignore that person on the margins because to include them would just be too awkward. Every time I decide that to stop and help would be too inconvenient right now. When the things on my list take priority over the people around me, then I think I am missing the very essence of the kind of love that should mark me out as a disciple of Jesus. Jesus told us to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength and to love our neighbours as we love ourselves. To want as much goodness and grace and forgiveness and joy for them as I want for myself. And to include in that definition of neighbour those I find difficult. Those who are so very different from me. And even those who have hurt me. Now, of course, at times, there may be moments where we have to draw a boundary and step away from people or situations that have hurt us and that are not healthy. But even in some of those situations, we can love from a distance, even if it's just in how we pray for someone. Will we live lives that are marked by love? Will we love our brothers and sisters, our neighbors, until it hurts, until it costs, until we know that it can only be the love of Jesus burning inside us? And we can only do that if we come to him and ask him to fill us afresh every day, perhaps even moment by moment. And so we're going to do that now. Um, we're going to have some other ministry in a moment or two for a couple of specific things. But just in the first instance, I'm going to ask you to just 
put the chairs to the side and we're going to stand and have a moment of, of individual prayer and reflection and worship together. Fall afresh on us. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Break us, melt us, mold us, and fill us afresh with your love.